Welcome to the Proto Hack Podcast, where we explore the world of non technical entrepreneurship. Each week, Proto Hack co founders Blake McCammon and Cole Fox interview different non technical founders on the ins and outs of being a non technical founder in the technical world. Tune in to hear advice from non technical founders who've made it, profiles of entrepreneurs who have launched businesses and successfully raised capital, and stories of those who have made the most of non technical skills to achieve success. Hello, everyone. This is Cole with ProtoHack. Welcome to our ProtoHack non-technical founder podcast. I'm here with Marilene Delbor-Delphis, the CEO and founder of Talent Circles. Marilene, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, we're delighted to have you on here today as a successful non-technical entrepreneur. Um, just to kick things off, uh, we'd love to hear about uh, what you're currently working on. Um, so give us kind of the pitch of what Talent Circles in, uh, what Talent Circles is, and, uh, and, and feel free to, to get into uh, how you came up with that idea and any, any background info. Okay, my current company, True, is uh, Talent Circle. Uh, I came up with the idea a little by chance when while talking to a graduate from Berkeley, and uh, we were looking at the uh, space of HR and talent acquisition and uh, looking at uh, multiple products, we could see that uh, there was basically a sort of greenfield, the talent acquisition part. How do you connect with uh, potential employees or potential candidates? How do you get, um, uh, how can you define an environment where you express your interest for candidates, but also show interest to these candidates. So, because, because in the end, you know, we are in a, in a market where candidates are in the driver's seat. So, as an employer, you have to be interesting to candidates. And uh, the days when employers could say, well, uh, just send us an application and we'll forget about you are gone. So we looked at multiple products. We could see that uh, there are lots of things on the back end, basically what is called the applicant tracking system, but that the front end, the talent acquisition process itself, is uh, still very, very new uh, in the mind of uh, multiple companies. So this is how I, it's really, it was the result of a conversation. And for uh, many of my companies, actually, this was often a conversation with friends. Uh, I, my first company was uh, more, which was the first relational database on the Mac, was more derived from a need that I had. Uh, I needed a relational database that I could understand. We were speaking of the end of the 80s, and I couldn't find one, so I designed what I thought uh, could become an interesting um, product for other people. Um, so in the end, you, you don't really come up with an idea for yourself only. You, When you have an idea, uh, you have to make sure that the idea could be of interest to other people too. Great. Thanks for sharing that. So you are essentially a serial entrepreneur. You've started multiple companies. Um, you've been an entrepreneur for quite a while. Um, what, uh, what led into to becoming an entrepreneur for you? Um, actually, nothing. It's strange. <laughs> but 
uh, I was teaching philosophy and I was also a journalist in the fashion industry and uh, I needed a database. So I started this without really thinking, oh, I am an entrepreneur. Uh, you don't wake up one morning and say, I am an entrepreneur. Uh, you have an idea that you think is can be communicated with others, um, that a product that can be of use to other people. So uh, I truly never thought I would be an entrepreneur. I was actually, uh, originally, I was um, pure, um, purely in academics and uh, in philosophy. But maybe uh, in the end, my background in philosophy learned me, to, taught me on how to be open to the rest of the world and um, be open also um, to the, the kind of career I could have. But I never plan this really. And I believe that a lot of people are actually like me. Uh, they suddenly discover that they can be entrepreneur because in the end, uh, what defines an entrepreneur is maybe the idea that we are allowed to create, to be creative. We are allowed to change the world. We are allowed to be different from uh, what people sometimes expect from us. Yeah, those are those are powerful words, um, and and I think Steve Jobs is uh, is pretty famous for for some of those words. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but did you have um, a uh, a time when you worked with Apple or some of the executive staff there? Absolutely, uh, I had the first relational database on the Macintosh, so uh, Apple was definitely intrigued by um, somebody who would come up with them. Um, a relational database for that um, platform, which was more known for uh, its graphical graphic environment, uh, and my position was why why not leverage a graphic environment to make database more common, more understandable for the, what uh, at the time was said the rest of us. Um, and true, I interacted with a lot of people at Apple, uh, so much so that uh, I started my first company in the U.S. with uh, Guy Kawasaki, who was at the time the Macintosh evangelist. And it also shows to you, by the way, that you can be an entrepreneur, not necessarily know people that well, but if they are interested in what you do, you can attract them um, very, I mean, fairly easily. Um, it's not a question of money. It's not a question necessarily of stock. Uh, it is, do they believe in your idea and want to be part of your adventure or not? That's great. And that's a very, uh, it's a very simple concept, um, which I think a lot of people can grasp and, and sometimes they overcomplicate things. Um, I think so too. <laughs> well, great. Well, thanks for sharing that and a little bit about your story with, uh, uh, your company, of talent circles and the company you started. What was the name of the company that produced a relational database? Just so we can know. Fourth dimension. Fourth dimension. Okay, great. I see that on your LinkedIn profile. Fantastic. Um, so next question. Let's talk about your role in these companies you've built, whether it's talent circles or, or fourth dimension. Um, since you weren't the one that was coding, um, what were some of the activities that you did? Um, you know, first, creating a product maybe is not all about coding. Uh, coding is only a part of it. 
Uh, of course, when I started my first company, I looked at um, Pascal. At the time, it was programming in Pascal. Uh, I soon found out it was not very difficult. It's only a language. Learning a language is not necessarily that difficult. Um, if you want to put your mind to it, I think anybody can learn it. Um, this was not what where I felt I could be the most useful. Uh, I was probably the most useful in, in uh, analyzing what the market needed, the behavior of a product, the architectural design of the product. So to if you're not technical, first you can learn, but you can remain non-technical and still be completely determinant in the way the product is designed and for whom it is designed. And of course, on, along the way, you hire a VP of engineering, you hire a programmer, you hire a CTO, sometimes all of it, uh, and you try to understand what they do. So because when you're not technical sometimes, you can be intolerant with um, technical people, with programmers. Uh, so you have to really understand what their life is about, how they work uh, to give the right advice, but uh, also learn how to be patient. Definitely. Yeah, I think that uh, there's something to be said for people who uh, prefer to recharge by themselves and there's people who prefer to recharge by being around other people. And uh, oftentimes, programmers fit into the, uh, the, the former bucket of uh, wanting to recharge by themselves and kind of be locked away. And, and, and oftentimes, somebody who's non-technical, whose job it is to get out there, sell the company, sell the vision, uh, you mm -hmm. know, that it's, it's good to understand your differences. That may just be one of many differences in understanding the lifestyle and the... the um, pieces of how your technical team may work. So. May I add something here? You know, when you start a company, it's very important to expose the technical team to the market uh, also, because um, actually programmers program better if they understand for whom they design the product, for whom they create the product. And when there is a need for new features, they can relate to the person who need the feature. Um, traditionally, I have always uh, sent my uh, engineers in trade shows because first, they learned a lot. And second, uh, programmers are so proud of what they do that they like to explain what they do to others. Uh, and it is incredibly gratifying for them to be exposed to the market, to, custom, to real customers. Uh, because they're proud of what they do, and for a good reason. So the idea that uh, only sales and marketing people should be out there and should speak to customers, I think is totally flawed. And this is something I never did my companies. I believe actually that sometimes programmers are better marketeers than marketeer, people in marketing themselves. And in many of my companies, found out that my, be my best salespeople and uh, marketing people had an engineering background. That's great. Yeah, it's, it's good to, uh, to, to meld those skill sets and make sure everybody understands each other's uh, department and the, the role they play on the team. 
So uh, I kind of have an off-topic question here, just looking at your LinkedIn profile. I know you brought this up before we started the call. Uh, it looks like you've been a board member in, in a number of companies. Perhaps you, you still are in, in different ones. Um, I'd love to hear just your, your, your experience of being a board member and, and also your advice to startups out there on, in general for, on board members, getting them and, and keeping them. So I think that, I mean, the people I'm, I met, uh, these are people I met who asked me to be board members. And for me, a criteria was clearly to understand what they were doing and uh, be actually very helpful to them, uh, be able to demo the product, be able to understand the various steps that they were following. Uh, so it was, uh, I was a, the profile of a professional, uh, board operational board member. And a lot of time uh, coaching uh, the CEO, very often also the VP of engineering, um, so that the communication between engineering and business would be really transparent. In all cases, these were products I could relate to, whether it was in the cloud, like Cloud Weaver, Weaver or uh, one of the very first uh, product for analytics on social media, uh, Objective Marketeer, or one of the very first uh, product um, that enabled organizations to have their own uh, search engine on their website. It was, the, I mean, it was quite a while ago, but I... I, f I felt the need I could relate to the mission of the product. My criteria was not to be was never to be a board member for the sake of it. It was always to make sure that um, uh, I would help the company advance and that it would be a product that would change something in the world of other people. And I was lucky enough to find those entrepreneurs. That's great. And and is being a board member something you're still doing, or are you currently? Um, yes. Yes. I mean, okay. I am still a board member of uh, two companies in stealth mode uh, right now. Uh, as you can imagine, as the full-time CEO of Town and Circles, I'm very busy. But I always keep an eye on what is happening in tech. Because in the end, when you work for one company, it's remain it remains really key to, to be open to the rest of the world and not always, not simply look at your own little world. Definitely. Because, because in the end, you know, the creativity is the cross is a sort of cross-pollination of domains. So there are things that you see in one world that can benefit uh, to the world where you are in currently. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, that's great that you keep keep the uh, keep your perspectives open and, and are able to uh, get outside of your your own um, company walls and and uh, and help out others. So um, so let's switch gears back to how you built um, some of your products. So uh, obviously you've got talent circles. You also built a relational database, which is you know pretty much used by the whole internet and apps these days. Um, so that's a pretty big deal. Um, how did you tell, tell me about the story of, of how those products got built? Did you find, did you, you know, did you have to go out and find a CTO? Did you get it outsourced? What was kind of, how did that all play out? So, uh, my, uh, it was 
always, I always had a CTO and or a VP of engineering, always inside. Um, as a rule, and given the type of product that I was mostly involved, outsourcing was uh, always fairly limited. In one of my companies, uh, a lot was outsourced. But the CTO was in the in this country, and all the beginning of the product when you have to make all the key uh, uh, architecture uh, choices in terms of architecture, uh, it was done in house. Um, my philosophy has been to outsource modules when uh, it was a good time to do it, but not necessarily all the time. So in most of my company, actually, uh, most of the code uh, was created inside the company, not outsourced. Okay. And, and what were your processes in, in building these products? Like from, from the time that you had the idea, what would you say were, were the next steps? Like, you know, did you prototype it? Did, did it then get yeah. coded? What were kind of the steps? Yes. Uh, the process I always had was to have a working prototype, not necessarily having all the features, but start from something that would be meaningful to somebody. Because sometimes you, I mean, you can have a great idea, but you don't want to boil the ocean from day one. So it was always to start with something to which a subset of potential customers could relate to. Um, and then, but in all cases, though, it, there was always a focus on architecture so that you could have a minimum viable, pro viable product, but to make, but at, at the same time, we we're always making sure that uh, anything we would add would not um, crush the architecture or would be prepared in the architecture. So there was a lot of thinking uh, involved up front on what we wanted to do with what we wanted to start. But, some, but sometime, most of the time, the architecture was designed very early on to make sure that when we add features, it doesn't become a sort of a house of cards. Indeed. Yeah, that's, uh, that's important. Mm -hmm. um, In fact, the idea is to allow from the beginning for a scalability of the idea. You don't need to build up everything, but you need to make sure that you know where you go, what your end game is about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, well, great. So, um, so let's talk about funding, um, raising money. So, um, so I understand you raised money for talent circles. Uh, you may have raised money uh, in previous companies. I'd uh, love to hear, um, you know, to the extent you're able to talk about the amount you raised um, and just the story behind it and, and any wisdom you have to share uh, to uh, entrepreneurs on, on how they should go about funding. So if you think you need to raise money, so raise it early when you have a prototype, a working prototype, and when you have a good understanding of the market. So it makes sense to do it very early. But sometimes you create products where you do not need to raise that much money. It takes so much time to raise money that if you don't need it, don't do it. 
a way to have a more evolved product. Uh, sometimes you may be enough to raise money and to crown to have some crowdfunding. Um, so I never advise for people to rush on raising money. Uh, they raise money only if and when it is needed. My very first company, actually, for Dimension, I never raised money. I bootstrapped. Uh, I was able to have customers very early on. And uh, so I didn't need to raise money. Um, in uh, For Objective Marketeer, we didn't raise money. We had uh, customers uh, very early on. Sometime in a larger architecture like um, Cloud, Cloud Weaver, we raised money, but reasonably. The idea was not to raise money for the sake of it. Because in the end, uh, you must uh, raise money with the right investors at the right time. And um, so it, it really depends on what you do, what you want to do. Um, there is, I don't think there is any formulas there. Raising money for the sake of it is not necessarily a good idea. You may want to keep, uh, to, be, to be more independent. Certainly. Yeah, it's, it's not always, it shouldn't always be the, the only strategy is just to raise money. No, and also, I mean, you can create wonderful businesses which are not necessarily businesses in which a VC would invest because you can have a, somebody, I mean, you can have a smaller sustainable business, for example. There's nothing wrong with this. Not all companies uh, are going to become Facebook or eBay or uh, Oracle. You can do phenomenal products that do not need to scale there. And you may become rich by not necessarily having big companies. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, it's it's all about the design and, and the planning of the business. And and people have more control over that than, than they think in some cases. So Yeah, and the purpose of the business. You can create fantastic businesses that will not be big, but will be still fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Okay. We're actually a nonprofit at ProtoHack, so you know it's not like we're going to make a billion dollars, but we uh, we're definitely uh, a, a cool, fun business, and 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 a lot of great things are happening. So yes, and you can change a lot of things in the world because of this small business, because of this uh, mission that you give yourself. It's really a question of uh, mission of the business at a given time. Definitely. Yeah, those those are def definitely great words of wisdom. So, um, so in the realm of the funding question, obviously sales. Uh, you talked about one of your companies, you know, just bootstrapping. You you had customers. You didn't really need investors. Um, it it seems to me like the the niche of sales or your customers have been on the business side, uh, the B two B as the buzzword goes. Um, B two B isn't exactly the easiest sell because usually it's a pretty high dollar uh, per customer. Um, could you could you share any wisdom on how you got your initial customers? I know you have some very impressive uh, blue chip customers for Talent Circles. I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on that. Um, most of the customers that um, I got were actually people I met in trade shows. Uh, in some cases, people to whom I demo the product. There is one thing which is really cool today is that you can have a join me or go to meeting or eventually Skype and give a demo very quickly. So you don't need to have a big force 
to let people know what you're doing. Um, and if you do something which is meaningful, um, people can really buy into this too. <laughs> so Absolutely. it's true that uh, B2B sometimes is more difficult. It's probably a longer process, uh, and it depends on the space. I mean, uh, definitely in HR, the process is pretty long because people are not really very empowered to change. But, um, I mean, as long as you know this uh, from the get-go, um, you are not ru- you're not rushing your potential customers, and they, they are available to you on their own terms. The important thing is that they understand what they buy and why they buy it. And then customer service is really, really critical for them. In all cases, I I always had, even in the B2B, I always had, I always designed products that were easy to implement uh, and easy to use. This is probably what I learned being a Macintosh fan since day one. Uh, I never liked product for which there was months and months of implementation and installation. Uh, I always believed that the best code is a code where the uh, users can configure the, uh, their implementation and the installation, and it's not custom built uh, with a lot of custom code uh, at all times. So this has been a constant. In some cases, I was uh, more in the... Um, consumer arena for analytics and social media actually uh, and again if you if you give demos to people if you have the patience to do this if you don't sell simply vaporware or marketing talk uh, when people need it they understand and they want to buy sometimes the best marketing really truly is not hype it's simply showing the product and there is one thing I recommend is to make sure that uh, in any company, uh, people can give a demo of the product, whether they are business or even uh, engineers. Excellent. Does it make sense? Yeah, that makes great sense. Now, what I would um, would wonder is, you know, there's the whole lean startup methodology. And, and I've heard that with enterprise products, um, when you're selling especially a high dollar value product per customer, you pretty much got to build the product until you can sell it. Whereas with consumer facing products, it seems like people can get away with, with maybe vaporware a little more easily. And for those out there that don't know what vaporware is, it's pretty much you're you're selling an idea, you're selling hype. You haven't actually built the, the product. It's, it's vapor. Um, and and so, what what would you say to that? As as far as building an enterprise product, can you really get away with with the lean methodology and <clears throat> just uh, just selling people on on vaporware, or, or is that definitely a no no? Uh, this, I mean, there are probably people who can sell vaporware much better than I do. I cannot do that. So, um, uh, even in enterprise, I always make sure that uh, my customers have a product that they can use. And they are also aware of the roadmap that I will follow. And generally, we are very close to what we say we would do. So um, you don't need to have a completely finished product to sell uh, in enterprise. You can find um, early adopters. And actually, those early adopters are very, very proud 
to be able to give you their feedback to give a better orientation of the uh, about on the features that you are uh, building uh, in many many companies uh, i was lucky enough to find people who helped with the development of the product and were telling me what uh, they expected first i mean when you start a company there are lots of features especially in b2b that you have to add and it is very important to listen to customers to have an idea of, of uh, an idea about the order in which you add things and sometimes and very often they give you a good uh, report on their usage pattern so you want to really um, feel close to their usage pattern and explain to and, and see how they work to build a better product so I don't think that there is necessarily a big difference between enterprise sales and consumer sale. The important thing in all cases is to respect your customer and not to pretend to give them more than what you actually give and when they have a problem to be able to respond and be willing to respond. Um, in the end, customers are more resilient than we think. They become angry customers if you lie, uh, if you don't listen to them. Yeah, and I, I don't know if I'm too idealist. <laughs> Sorry? But, but this, this has, has been, been my experience. experience. Yeah. When, when I started the first relational data to have the feedback of a lot of people. And I think they love the product because I was listening. Now, there is what you want to build and on the one hand and what your customers want to use on the other hand. And you can be very firm on your vision, but you have to be extremely flexible on some aspects of the implementation. You cannot lecture customers. You can have them move towards a better world, sometimes in spite of them, but you have to, to think of what their life is about. They are not going to change uh, 200% for you. You have to make the change easy to understand, palatable, and they have basically to, to feel some anchor uh, in your product. They have to feel some, they have to find their roots back, even if you do things completely differently. Yeah, I really like that quote. Um, there's, there's what you want to build and there's what your customers actually want. <laughs> and people often make that mistake. Yeah. yeah. So, but, um, and even very open people, people they, they, they hope to have something, something new, but sometimes they are afraid to to abandon what uh, the habits. And true, most of the time, the processes of your customers are derived from um, older products. These are not abstract processes. Um, these are behaviors that have been dictated by older products. And so you have to be smooth in the way you transition them. Yeah, absolutely. Great. Well, we just have one more question here, and we'll wrap things up, Mary Lean. Um, just uh, talking about 
why you're an entrepreneur. Uh, I know we brought, talked about this earlier. <laughs> it really started a lot pretty organically with you, it seemed, with just conversations. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'd love to hear what you love about being an entrepreneur and, and what keeps you motivated. What I love about an entrepreneur is definitely the idea to bring something new to people, bring new ideas and convince people. It's just like, uh, th this is really what I love. Uh, convince people that their life could be simpler than what they believe. Um, and that's why I love technology too, because in the end, lots of uh, activities are greatly simplified by great technologies. So this is really a passion. It's why people are repeat entrepreneurs, why artists continue to paint. Uh, I think that this is part of who you are as a person. I would probably be bored uh, in a large uh, corporation where I would have to do the same thing over and over again and obey to uh, sometimes fairly abstract uh, orders. So this is, um, maybe I was uh, designed to just do new things uh, regularly. It doesn't mean that I do new things every day. Because when you run uh, startups, uh, it's uh, basically being, when you're a CEO of a startup, you're the, mostly the slave in chief, okay? So you have to take care of all sort of stuff from uh, uh, even finding, uh, buying coffee for the office, I mean, it's very diverse, okay? So um, it's not, it's the art of uh, being the boss without being bossy. And probably this is what I like. It's the art of discovering the talent in others. Uh, this is also something I love. Um, so when, okay, what do you want me to else to, what do you want me to add on this? What, what motivates, motivates me? me? Yeah. Uh, but I don't think that um, innovation is what uh, motivates me, really. Um, what motivates me is seeing the new features that my engineering team has uh, concocted, um, listening and understanding what uh, new customers would like to see uh, in the future. That's really um, what motivates me and keeps me positive. If my customers didn't have, um, did not expect me to push myself and push the product further, I would probably be very depressed. So my, I would say that um, my motto, my credo, my religion <laughs> is um, um, doing something new that would help that will help more customers every single day. That's great. Well, awesome. Um, I, that wraps it up for, for the podcast. Just to end things, Marilene, uh, tell us uh, the best way people can get in contact with you and also uh, remind us what Talent Circles does in case anybody wants to look at Talent Circles. Okay. Talent Circles enables organizations to create their talent pool of uh, candidates, of people who are interested in that company. So the idea is to have your own private Rolodex, in a way, and that when you have a job for these people, you connect with these people because you know that they are interested in your company. 
most of the time, um, recruiters uh, are, have a hard time recruiting because they try to recruit people who are not interested in the company for which they try to recruit. So the best way to build a great team is to uh, find people and connect continuously with people who are contaminated, I would say, who are infected by your ideas, who love what you do, and at some point in time want to work for you. So we enable organizations to, to, to have their private talent pool and inside this video interview them, talk to them, um, give webinars, uh, have a full employment branding strategy. Uh, may, may I add, I add something, something else? else? Uh, sure. Cool. I would like to add that um, for all entrepreneurs, but uh, I would say also any engineer, there is a very good book that they should read is The Art of the Start by Guy Kawasaki. Uh, he just published the um, 2.0 version, and this is an excellent book. It, it is common sense, but it's very important at any time, even if you have already started other companies, to always go back to the basic and say, how do I present my business? How many slides? What do I want to accomplish? With whom? And uh, I think The Art of the Start, which was one of the greatest books in the mid-2000, uh, is again one of the best books an entrepreneur should read today. Of course, I'm biased because I know Kawasaki, and we worked a lot together. I've I've definitely heard good things about that book. So uh, so yeah, your your bias is uh, is is nonetheless well uh, well received and uh, and has a good good platform. So uh, yeah, I think I, that's a book I've been meaning to read. And uh, and thanks for the recommendation. Great. And and last, uh, if if anybody wants to get in touch with you, Marilene, uh, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? Um, they can reach out to me uh, on um, via LinkedIn, of course, um, via email. My email is md. My personal email is mddelphis uh, at uh, gmail.com. Uh, they can also connect with me via Twitter, and my Twitter handle is mddelphis. So I'm pretty easy to get in touch with. Sounds good. Well, um, Marilyn, we really appreciate you sharing wisdom. Um, you've you've definitely uh, done some great things in Silicon Valley, and uh, and I'm sure many more to come. So. Uh, we're, we're happy to have you on our podcast. And uh, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap things up. So thank you. Thank, thank you, you so, so much. much.